welcome to Well Connected, a podcast for faculty, staff, residents, and fellows of UT Health Houston, brought to you by the UT Health Employee Assistance and Wellbeing Programs Office. I'm Julie Van Orden. And I'm Anna Alvarado. The goal of Well Connected is to create opportunities for employees to connect the thoughts between three things, what's going on in our heads and hearts, how these thoughts and feelings affect our well-being, and where we can find resources through the university to work toward a resolution. Our guest today is Dr. Jason Yu. Dr. Yu is a clinical assistant professor at the McGovern Medical School's Louis A. Falace Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. He is also a licensed psychologist working at the UT Health Student Counseling Services. Dr. Yu's clinical interests include transition adjustment, anxiety and mood disorders, ADHD behavioral management, career exploration, and other academic skills and concerns, such as time management, procrastination, and motivation. And since he has told us in advance to call him Jason instead of Dr. Yu, I would just like to welcome Jason to the Well Connected podcast. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for the introduction. And hi, Anna. Hi, thank you for joining us. So when I was reading your bio there, there's a lot of really everyday life situations that could bring a person into therapy. And so when Anna and I first met you, you shared a story about what we consider a great life. I mean, a life event that would be a great example of what type of situation might lead someone to therapy and uh, for an opportunity for them to really talk through something going on that's come at them from life. And so do you mind sharing with our listening audience how you transitioned from being a well-educated and employed mechanical engineer to a PhD level educated clinical psychologist? Well, thank you for uh, this opportunity for me to talk about myself, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I put you in the other seat, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, that, that does bring me back in time. That's um, maybe a, well, maybe more than a couple of decades ago. And as you mentioned, as you mentioned that um, uh, I was initially uh, undergrad, was trained as a mechanical engineer, engineer, and somehow I found my way through working through a research consortium in, in Austin and uh, eventually ending up uh, working in the Silicon Valley. And um, as you might imagine, working in the high tech, uh, it could be a pretty, pretty goal-directed, high-stress kind of environment. And um, um, I was doing okay, I thought. And um, I was uh, doing things that I thought uh, was fulfilling my days. Uh, and however, something just seems to be missing. And um, something that seems to be, it was more like a void within myself. Oh, wow. And uh, even though I was going about my day to day and, um, uh, and getting paid reasonably well for it. And, and at first I thought that's just the point of having a job, isn't it? Right, <laughs> you know, right. Getting paid. And, uh, and maybe you'll be doing something that you kind of enjoy as well, right? Maybe in that order. But then it 
as time went on, it just didn't just seem to be sufficient. And that void seemed to grow larger and larger. And um, uh, so I um, started my own counseling process. And in fact, that just start, started with some sort of a short career exploration workshop, working, working with a career counselor. And uh, that through that, I traveled some distance, having some thoughts about this career thing. And, um, and then I took a pause. I stopped intentionally or not, because I really had no idea what I was going with that. And sometime later, I picked up with my own personal counseling, and that through the process, I talked through a broader array of things, including career. And as part of the process, my personal life also evolved. And it, is, it had been a stepwise process for me. A little bit of counseling, figured, figured out a few things, took some action in life and um, maybe being a little different in the process as well. And I moved from the Silicon Valley back to Texas, back in Austin. And uh, I knew where that's, that's where I wanted to be and did more personal work until I hit upon this idea of working with people directly. And uh, as part of the exploration process, I, I think in a way that was going through uh, my ex existential musings, perhaps, trying to figure out what's what am I doing this for? And uh, I knew I was not, perhaps, not going to come up with a definitive answer. And but I came upon an answer that was good enough for me, which was that I think somehow we're doing this to enhance the lives of others in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. That's how we're getting paid, right? Because we present some sort of value to someone. And so, was that motivating for you to pre to present a value to someone and help other people? Was that something very appealing? You already knew you were changing your career at that point, yes? I think so. I think so. Uh, I knew I was not where I really wanted to be. Yeah. You hit on some really interesting things because you talked about, you didn't start by saying, I need to see a, a therapist. You talked about, I, I went to a career counselor. I think that's fascinating because I think sometimes we use our family members as career counselors, like, and even <laughs> just these life events, like if there's life events coming at us, I think a lot of times we start hitting on on hitting up people that we feel comfortable saying, hey, this is what's going on with me. Sometimes we mm. keep it to ourselves. But Absolutely. I I really, I've not ever heard any say they went, anybody tell me that they went straight to a, you know, they went to a career counselor. And then I love that you like continued that journey and say, let me, let me do some work on myself personally, not just think about the job thing of it. And so um, so I apologize. I cut you off in there, but no, it was, you just have said so many great things just in that story. It's so many that, great things. And that, that, was a, that was a very good point also. And, and I think um, in my work as a psychologist uh, recently, it just seems to happen for some people. It seems to be easier for them to start talking by talking about the jobs, right? Oh. And uh, our being in a 
a very functional, high working, you know, like the productivity focused uh, kind of society and culture, uh, it seems that uh, makes sense. It's sometimes easier for us to talk about, boy, I'm so stressed about my work. So what can I do about that? Or, um, and uh, that for some people, that's a nice entry point. Yeah. So you were talking about our our world being productivity focused. So as a as a highly educated problem sol solver, much like our faculty, staff, residents, and fellows here at the university, did this present some unique challenges for you in seeking mental health assistance? That's that's a good question, Anna. So. Um... So obviously, uh, everyone is different, and yeah. uh, I'll, I'll do I'll do a little bit of generalization here. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes, when I find myself working with uh, high functioning, uh, high functioning, smart people, uh, mm -hmm. these people are very much uh, accustomed to problem solving, and most of the time, uh, independently, and mm -hmm. um, they may also have certain um, perceptions of failure if they can't solve the problems. You know, a personal failure on their part if they can't mm. solve the problems on their own. And these are also yeah. people who are very much goal and outcome driven. And uh, as you know, that when we have that goal and outcome uh, orientation, sometimes self-care, you know, is, could be challenging for physical care, physical health as well as uh, mental health. And, um, you know, for example, if a person gets the sniffles, you know, don't, do I take time off to uh, go see a healthcare provider or do I just keep soldiering on, right? And what would other people think of me if I just take some time off, if I just, you know, if I just have the sniffles? And this is sniffles, that kind of, that, that could be, be kind of visible to other people. But then we were talking about mental health, <laughs> imagine that that may not be apparent to other people that you are experiencing something. So. Um, oh, I like that you're, because you're drawing the connection that it's not something people can see necessarily mm -hmm. and you might be suffering internally. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then adding on top of that, we still, still have traces of this uh, stigma that the society has had associated with mental health for a long time, right? And um, if you were to seek help, that means you're admitting that you need help. That, right. that means that you're admitting that you may have some association with stigma of mm -hmm. mental health, quote unquote, problems. And uh, there might be just feelings of less, lesser than, mm. you know, and and if you're talking about people who are competitive, and you can see how well that might go with this whole idea and identities of themselves. Right. Yeah, talking about the, the stigma, do you think the public perception has changed or do we have more work to do? <laughs> but I take it that you're asking that question that, uh, maybe you have noticed, or maybe you're hoping that the public perceptions have changed. And in fact, I think, I think it has, you know, I think it has. I agree, I agree. 
Yeah. And so in a not so distant past, the, the, the heavy significant stigma, you know, associated with mental health. And uh, so, but these days there's, there's still maybe uh, traces uh, still lingering. And, um, and I think, I think there, there could be many factors contributing to that first shift in the public perception of mental health. And um, uh, for one, um, you know, uh, with the help of the industry that I formerly worked in, um, the, there is an increased accessibility to information, right? Yes, I yes. think I think that has a significant contribution. And um, seeing the stigma often comes with uh, comes from fear and lack of understanding. And um, um, as you probably noticed, that uh, you know, at this time of uh, abundance of information. Um, correct and incorrect information, um, especially young people, they uh, seem to be uh, very avid consumers of information. Mm-hmm. And when they experience mental health concerns, either personally or with uh, people close to them, they're more inclined to search for information online. And uh, more than just uh, information, it's just, I think personal stories. Um, when when researching mental health um, and um, or having you know mental health related information kind of pushed upon them, um, most of the young people are looking for personal stories. So they are looking for personal anecdotes for, from people who had experienced mental health challenges. You know, think uh, social media, right? In a way that uh, kind of bypassing established uh, media outlets and. Uh, uh, one thing that's interesting to me is that uh, some some people happen to be celebrities, you know, who are willing to publicly share stories and mental health mm-hmm. challenges and and bring discussion into the media and daily conversation and becoming a way kind of advocates for mental health. Yeah. Right. And um, uh, and stigma oftentimes refers to the kind of this kind of perceived disadvantage or uh, this mark of disgrace that is uh, used uh, to set an individual or group apart from other members of society. And when people see the celebrity mental health advocates, you know, um, like uh, Selena Gomez, uh, Michael Phelps, and uh, all these people, um, you know, talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine, I guess this may not be a bad group of people to be associated with, right? <laughs> right. So, so what then? What happens to the stigma? Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, when you talk about these these different um, celebrities that people can relate to, I'm just thinking about, you know, we started off with you telling a story about yourself and you changing and getting into this field, and I'm thinking that in some way people can relate to you, not because you're telling them their story, your story in therapy, but because you've been there. So. You have these, you know, this real life experience that maybe they can feel a different kind of connection with you because they can think, okay, this person seems to understand what I'm saying. Do you think people re- really respond to that kind of a therapist, somebody that they ha- can have a co- connection with? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. And, it, and as you may imagine that there are uh, different approaches to mm-hmm. therapy, and there might be uh, different ways of uh, understanding what therapy is. And um, 
to me, a therapist is, um, is perhaps an imperfect human being. And that. a therapist may not live a perfect life. I know I don't. Does <laughs> <laughs> um, anybody, right? Is, is there anybody? That's exactly right. However, through the training, through our clinical experiences, um, I walk into the session uh, equipped with this extra knowledge and information. But that's, that's all in my back pocket. Really, in, in the forefront, I'm trying to be this human being to another human being. And it's also a bi-directional process. Again, being an imperfect human being, therap the therapist is not just someone who's tossing stuff over the fence for the client, for the patient to receive and make use of. Mm -hmm. It's the therapist, I as a therapist, as part of the process, I'm also affected by the process as well. And it is a, it could be a pretty intricate, intricate dance uh, that is happening. Yeah. And more often than not, um, the client may take the lead in the dance. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes the therapist would have to take the lead. And, um, the professional part of this is about some of the, the knowledge and ex clinical experience I've had. I, I get to pull out of the back pocket and to, to help enhance the dance, all in the service of the, the life that the, the patient, the client wants. And, um, and that is a professional relationship and it is a relationship. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you giving us that little piece of information. I love how you say imperfect humans, because sometimes, you know, as a client, I sometimes, you know, overthink things when I'm speaking with my therapist. Oh my gosh, she's going to think I'm so crazy. <laughs> this happened. She's going to think that I've just gone cuckoo. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for me to kind of step away from that. I mean, I, I know my therapist will never judge me, but you know, I always have that thought like, oh, she must think I'm so crazy. So I appreciate you saying that therapists are imperfect humans. We're all humans, right? We're all <laughs> trying to go through life. Um, I have a question regarding um, other life situations. So I wanna go back to um, a list maybe list off a few things for our listener um, that could be certain life situation, which would be a good reason for them to start mental health coaching. What are those other instances? Because we started with your story about um, like a career path, a career change. Um, what, what else can they come to therapy for? Great question. Um, it, it is a, it is a very important question. Um, and um, um, so in kind of putting these thoughts together, there are, there are different situations um, that uh, I'm gonna start with 
perhaps the most uh, explicitly uh, important time of, of life that that people may feel like, yeah, this is, might be a good time to go to, go to new therapy. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first sets of reasons that people may come in for therapy is, is for managing their mental health, right? And sometimes a person could uh, have been diagnosed with some sort of mental health uh, uh, disorder. Um, and that could be through working with your primary care physician, uh, physician and the, uh, the healthcare provider may notice that, uh, hey, you got something going on here mental health wise. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the, uh, and the, uh, the healthcare provider may uh, give a primary uh, preliminary diagnosis such as uh, anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, uh, OCD or phobia and, and all that. And uh, so that obviously will be a pretty good reason to go in and work with a therapist uh, through this. And, um, and sometimes uh, the client, the patient may want uh, a little extra help in terms of managing stress and stressors. And you so know, that, uh, that's like not necessarily one of those diagnoses that you mentioned. It's just, it could be just general stress of daily life. And right. So that's a question. I had a question mark at that. <laughs> that yeah. Right. So that, so yes, let me, uh, let me try to make that distinction. So in the first case, having been, been diagnosed with some sort of uh, mental health uh, disorder, oftentimes the, the diagnose, diagnosis will be coming from some sort of healthcare provider. Right. And in the absence of that, you could find yourself in a place where you are experiencing quite a bit of stress uh, or you are dealing with quite a bit of stressors and making a little bit of distinction uh, between the two, mm -hmm. which is kind of helpful uh, thing for people. And uh, uh, you're finding your past waves of dealing with the stress and stressors might not be as helpful as it could as they could have been. And this is also a good time to work with a, uh, with a therapist as well. And you may also notice that uh, you are having a hard time uh, regulating emotions or you are getting us, finding yourself getting into unhealthy coping, uh, coping ways, uh, mm -hmm. such as would be overeating, like uh, TV binging, substance misuse or something like that. It could be as... And you notice that this is kind of a way that is to avoid some of the things going on. I mean, it's absolute. It, it could be okay to do any of those things, uh, um, and uh, uh, maybe. But then, but if you realize that, that if you're doing any any of those things in a way to avoid something else, you know, or finding yourself getting getting into a space where it it might qualify as an as an addiction that might be a really good reason for you to go start talking with a therapist, right? Yeah. And, other, and other things that, um, that may bring people into therapies, it could, it could also include having to deal with the major life events. You know, that could mean that transition, right? Going to a different job, to a different city. It may mm -hmm. be about parenting support, right? It may be also about having gone through some traumatic event or having gone through some sort of loss and dealing with grief. And in um, another level of reasons for it to come into therapy it may also be about productivity, uh, managing your productivity. And at times you might find yourself getting into moods that might be kind of, might be impairing. 
or you might have difficulty with appetite or sleep, or you may have difficulty with focus and concentration. All these are in a level of good reasons for, uh, for you to come in and talk to the therapist. And then there's also a group of reasons that what I usually call this self and relationship improvement, right? When you're finding yourself struggling to reach your personal goals, it could be career goals, you know, it could be finances, could be physical fitness and things like that. Or if you don't know what your, what your goals are, that you feel like I, I have one, right? Maybe I need to some help clarifying what, what that is. And, uh, or you could be wanting to improve uh, relationships or you want to uh, quote unquote, find yourself or increase self-awareness or increase your self-esteem, self-confidence. All these are related to the yourself in relationship that you want to improve. And these are the, some of the reasons I can see of the pretty decent ones that people come into to come see therapists for. Thank you for that list. Wow. So I can I can go see a therapist at any point in my my life. <laughs> um, oh, that's so valuable. Yeah, I want to just clarify uh, something that you had mentioned earlier for for our listeners that may not be familiar with the process. You had mentioned about um, a primary provider. Do I have to go through my primary provider first and like get a diagnosis or can I just go ahead and go find myself a therapist if I feel like I need mm. help? Do I, how, what's that process like? So um, there might be different factors uh, mm. when considering that question and um, obviously it's going to, Obviously, there will be cost involved uh, in seeking any kind of services. Right. right. And uh, part of the question may be about uh, the person's uh, uh, insurance coverage. And uh, you may have to, if you would like to go through your insurance to uh, help you with the therapy process. And, um, uh, but if once you get through, get past that question, uh, you, could also be wanting to just simply work with a therapist on your own. And uh, uh, that, uh, and through that, that could be self-pay or in some insurance companies. And I think they're, they say this, we're supposed to have some parity between mental health and physical health. And uh, insurance should be able to provide coverage uh, for, uh, again, uh, people need to check with their own uh, insurance providers uh, to clarify that. Right, right. Um, I will say that for, for uh, our listeners, if you want to start out with EAP, you know, we're doing this service. I mean, we're doing this podcast. It's, and we do a lot around mental health and all the well-being and all the elements of well-being. But you can have a person at UT Health Houston plus their eligible dependents can have up to five free visits, no cost, and it doesn't go through your insurance at all. So you don't even have to be on our insurance. You just have to work for UT Health Houston. And you can have up to five visits with a qualified credentialed counselor. You can contact our office. And I'm going to give you that number, actually, since I'm doing a resource here. I'm doing a public service announcement in the middle of this. <laughs> but it's 
3327 and you can contact them and tell them you're interested in uh, making an appointment with a counselor. And it doesn't have to be on site because we have a, a provider network so they can find somebody. You can say, I'm looking for somebody who's a male or a female or somebody who's bisexual. You may want somebody that has some sort of a relationship that can understand what you want to talk with them about. They could be a mom if you're a new mom. Uh, and you can give them all this criteria that you're looking for and they will send you a list of providers that are uh, that you can reach out to and they'll do an authorization from our office and it doesn't cost you anything and so then you can find you can do virtual you can do in person and it's really a valuable resource that we offer and you know even and it's five uh visits per issue but let's say you don't even know what you or you just want to talk to somebody about where do I go next, kind of gets a wayfinder. Like we can be like a wayfinder for like triage in a way, if you think about it like that, if you call and you ask to make an appointment to speak with one of our therapists, they can help point you in the right direction. If you're thinking, gosh, I would really like to talk to somebody because I'm living with somebody who has addiction issues and, and they might, you know, have a great resource for you, although they could probably help you as well, because ours are all completely credentialed counselors, or maybe you want a, a trauma therapist or something like that. So you can use us for a one-time walk-through, talk-through, uh, up to five times, and that's a really good resource for you. So, Julie, um, you brought up a really good point, Ashley, as you were talking about those things. Um, Counseling could be a, could be an iterative process as well. Oh, I love that. Right. Just you brought a tech term into it. That I understand. Yeah. So long you start somewhere. It does not, that person does not have to be your therapist for life. Yes. Right. Right. So once you start with someone who is trained in mental health, that person could be helpful in guiding you to the next step, to the next part, could be the next therapist. Mm -hmm. And, and even if you, even when you find the right therapist, it may be the right, right, the right, right therapist for a certain part of your journey. At some point you may move on to be on your own, or you may move on to a different therapist. We all have our limitations, right? And so long as you start walking and hopefully with some sort of trained guide in some way that might be able to help you in the direction that you want. Okay, so in mentioning that your first therapist doesn't have to be your last therapist or something to that effect you had said. So so when I lock down a therapist, how, how do I know if they are a good fit? Is that something that I get to know in one or two sessions? Is that, you, do you just know, or do you just feel it? Uh, uh, help me <laughs> figure that one out. That, that, that is a pretty, pretty tough, uh, challenging question to, uh, to, to, to answer. And, um, as you imagine that the, Therapy is a very personal process, right? And uh, more, more than likely, you're going to be sh sharing with you, uh, with your therapist, uh, information that you don't, you don't talk about just just by with anyone else. And um, in 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 order for the process to be helpful, that, that's kind of what you have to do. You know, mm -hmm. otherwise you'll be going to into a physician's office and saying that I'm here for something, but I'm not going to tell you why I'm hurting. 
<laughs> you can see how helpful that could get, right? And so, so in this case, the connection between the therapist and the client is one of the one of the more important therapeutic factors, and it is it is important to have that personal fit, right? And uh, so, even before you start your first session, right? And uh, even before you start asking the question when you're sitting there, whether this therapist is working out for me, you get to interview therapists. If you, you can, <laughs> you, you can, and some people may be in position to, to choose from multiple therapists, right? For example, um, if you decide to go into therapy uh, for, uh, and through your insurance, and you may be able to ask for uh, a list of directories of uh, uh, providers that are covered uh, mm -hmm. through your insurance. And, uh, and I'll suggest that uh, for most people to go through some sort of filtering kind of selection slash interview process. And uh, some of the therapists may, may even offer initial consultation over the phone or, mm -hmm. um, and, and then, then that will be an opportunity for you to ask you know, a, a list of prepared questions, hopefully. And uh, questions like, uh, what is your experience working with people with concerns uh, similar to mine mm -hmm. or, uh, can you explain uh, your therapeutic approach, the approach that you use, or how do you measure pro progress, and how long how long do people stay in therapy with you? Uh, questions like that. And but in addition to the answers that you hear, you also want to kind of listen between the lines for for the potential to build a connection with a therapist, and as part of that interview process. And to answer your question, how do I know this is working for me, right? Mm -hmm. The evaluation, the evaluation of the, the therapist and the therapeutic process uh, it should be an ongoing, ongoing thing as you begin and kind of continue the therapy. And there, there could be times where you might know after the first session that the therapist is not a good fit, mm -hmm. but that should be very rare, hopefully. And more often than not, the connection between, uh, with the therapist takes a few sessions to take shape. And that connection could be built uh, in different ways. It could be about a personal connection, whether you feel like you like this person or not. You know, that's, that's one example of a personal connection. Another way that the connection is made is that you guys agree on the goals and the methods you know, to uh, achieve those goals. And there's really no rule of thumb, but, but you probably want to give it you know, two to five sessions or so. And, uh, and, it, and the thing is that it, it is a very relevant part of the process. You, it's totally okay to discuss therapist fit with a the therapist, right? Therapist fit is, is a very legitimate question. And the therapist should be trained and equipped to, to address a question with you. And, um, um, but you, you do want to keep in mind, though, sometimes the the mental health condition that, that you may be experiencing right now, it could have a way of, of coloring your perception of the progress. Ooh, that's therapy. good. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, for example, right, you, you may be at a point where you're experiencing this kind of general dissatisfaction, right? And um, that could be part of your mental health condition. And um, imagine you carry that with you into mm -hmm. therapy. Right, and um, 
uh, that's why it might be a good maybe a good idea to discuss with a the therapist you know what this uh, what this uh, therapist fit uh, question is about I see wow that was so valuable I will say I never prepared questions in interviewing a therapist for me it was always just it was never the first meeting or the second meeting like you said two to five and it's just if it feels good I feel like for me I I know you know yeah. it's kind of kind of like dating that's funny <laughs> and see if you feel good with, about that person it's funny that you mentioned uh, like dating. I thought it was kind of like buying a car <laughs> because I want to tell you, I also had some aha moments with that conversation right there and a take and a couple of takeaways. And I was thinking about, I wouldn't go to buy a car without having some prepared questions. And this is very important to me. So and I also think it kind of maybe changes if I have any perceived power imbalances or something. If I go mm. with some prepared things, and so I ne it never occurred to me to go and have I mean to start the first session with just having a discussion of Q and A that will help me do some assessment. But then you added that other little layer that's so important, and it's just to remember that my personal state of mind that's taking me to therapy could color or Jade, the, ex, you know, the answer and how I receive their answers and how I am responding to them, or even maybe the questions that came in. So, I mean, I just think, thank you very much. I thought that was a really good, um, a good perspective as well. And um, even Anna, you know, your perspective, it's, you know, also think of it in terms of something a little more personal, like a date or something. You're not going <laughs> to just, because it's such a, per, it's a more personal relationship. Right. So right. very cool. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I often tell my uh, patients uh, slash clients that uh, they are the paying customers <laughs> <laughs> Direct, yes. directly or indirectly. And um, um one, one thing to, to keep in mind is that therapists, as part of our training, we are, we are trained to respect uh, the client's autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. And you do bring that in, you do bring that into the office. And that's why it's important that this becomes a cooperative process between, between the client and the therapist. And, uh, and even the interview process, even the process of trying out different therapists could also be a therapeutic experience as well. Because if you find yourself being dissatisfied with multiple therapists in a row. Mm. <laughs> Do you have to look for the common denominator and, <laughs> and say that's me? <laughs> that might be something worthwhile to discuss with your next therapist. As well. Right. Right. Oh, so I can talk about that. I think that's so good. Oh my gosh. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna book an appointment to talk to my therapist about why. Hey, these other therapists are not doing it for me. I love that. I know that's not what you're saying, but that's where I went. <laughs> so, uh, how do I know if therapy is helping? Hmm. Is it when I run out of things to talk about <laughs> or will I, is it a general sense of feeling? I feel good. I, I feel clear. What, what, what's that like? Um, 
Another good question, and I use it coming up with these good ones. <laughs> uh, so, yes, there is the kind of intuitive, um, not so tangible part about how you feel about the experience in the moment, right? And <clears throat> one thing to keep in mind is that therapy could be a hard process as well. You may not walk away from each session feeling like you're better than the time that you walked in, mm -hmm. right? Because it is hard work and there will be some level of discomfort in the process because you may be, it may be necessary for you to, to clarify and address things that had in some way pushed you to deal with some of these uncomfortable things uh, in a way that may not be, that, that may have side effects and that may not be helpful for the bigger life that you want. So one of the things that a lot of people, a reasonable thing for people to do is to evaluate your progress with the specific short-term and long-term goals that you and your therapist have worked together to establish. That's a great right? idea. Right. And, um, and, and also these goals can evolve over time, right? And however, they are helpful to have in the therapeutic process, right? And you, if you decide that this goal is no longer what I want, and you discuss with your therapist, because as part of the process, you realize, yeah, I said, I said that's what I wanted, but as we work through this, I realized there's something else about it. So we need to go in a different direction. Or even if you have reached your goals, sometimes in the process, there may be other things that you may discover is that, yeah, there's, there are more things I want to work on, right? And, uh, and also keep in mind that the progress towards some of these goals can be more easily measurable, right? For example, you want to, you want to overcome the fear of flying, right? right? Yeah. And if you if you find yourself regularly flying flying on transatlantic flights without notable distress, you could probably say that oh, you have achieved your goals. And uh, obviously, I'm simplifying things a little bit. Right? On the other hand, so the other therapy goals may may have more subtle signs of progress. Right? You um, you may be asking if you are finding relief from distress that, that got you into therapy in the first place, or mm -hmm. you're starting to feel better in your day-to-day -day life, um, there, there could be interim signs that, you, that you're making pro progress. Right? For example, that you may be finding yourself that using, uh, using this, some of the skills that you've learned in the therapy sessions, uh, actually using them outside of sessions, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and additionally, rather than being able to do certain things, some goals may be more about just a way of being in this world. So oh, accepting ourselves or accepting things about us. Yeah. Is that what you were way. saying? I mean, I don't want to put in a way in your mouth, but that sounded very, res really resonated with me. Self-acceptance. Yeah. You know, in a way, yes, the, because you are let's talk about the goal-directed people. They're still gonna achieve these goals, right? 
And the difference there is that 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 you how you are as you continue to pursue these things. And the example that you that you Julie that you brought up is that the acceptance thing, right? And I can see this example of that I'm going to accomplish this goal. And some people may say that that I do not feel accepted. I do not accept myself unless I accomplish goals. And when in process of working towards the goals, that certainly takes some a very different feel from someone who's like, I'm going to accomplish this goal because I want to. And, and that acceptance question is not even part of the formula. I'm just going to be doing whatever I need to do to get, a, get what I would like to accomplish in life. Right. That's good. It's a so, different path. Yeah, it is. Uh, so as we bring today's conversation to a close, tell us what life can look like after therapy. What is the hope message for us? Is there a concise hope message for us? It's hard to narrow that down to what that might look like. And it could be different for everyone, obviously. I'm hedging my answers a little bit. And um, hopefully, hopefully, you have, you have reached the place where you had envisioned yourself to be or as, or as you, as you come into therapist, let me, let me uh, say that over again. So, so hopefully you have reached the goals that you and your therapist have agreed upon, right? And what comes with that, it could be some pretty tangible things and you might find some satisfaction out of the work that you've done you may find some satisfaction in the life that you have. And one thing that I have noticed is that in a lot of cases, when I'm working with, with clients, they find themselves into a place that's getting smaller and smaller because of, because of the stress they're working with or the circumstances they have. And while they're continuing to deal with, deal with all these things that's part of life, my hope is that, my hope is that my clients can find a way to continue through the struggles, the work that enhances their life in a way that gets them what they want and in a way that allows them to live that larger life. I really, I really heard that. I really like that because I'm not going to lie. Um, I've been to places that felt very narrow and very small. And then what you just said is that when my, at least how I heard it was that the hope, and I'm going to tell, I'm going to own that. The hope for me is when, it's no longer narrow, it's bigger, and the things may still exist, but my life is bigger. It feels larger, there's more space, and I haven't narrowed down into this place that felt very 
blocked and boxed in. I like that. It's a great, that's a great um, thing to even meditate on. I love that. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today in this valuable conversation. We loved having you. Yeah, thank you we for, had so many good takeaways. Me. Oh, you're very welcome. So listeners, for information about our Employee Assistance and Wellbeing Program services, I gave you the number before, but please don't forget to call our office at 713-500-3327, and our confidential team will direct you to the faculty or staff representative who can help you. You can reach us 24-7, 365 for urgent matters and during regular office hours for all other business. You may also contact Anna and me by email. Just remember the word wellness and just tag on the suffix of your email address. It's wellness at uth.tmc.edu. Also, it's important for you to know, I mentioned it before, that your EAP and well-being services do extend to your eligible dependents so they can call and make appointments as well. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Jason, for coming in. Thank you.